0: All right, good evening. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. On this, let's see, this is the national, well, it's not actually the National Day of Prayer. That's tomorrow, the first Thursday. We're going to study a little bit about the National Day of Prayer this evening. But before we begin... Uh, Let's take a few seconds here for spiritual preparation. Our uh, spiritual preparation, of course, includes confession of sins and focusing on what we're doing tonight. We're studying the Word of God, and this is uh, along with the filling of God the Holy Spirit. That is the basis for our spiritual growth our spiritual uh, our spiritual strength so we have that uh, opportunity tonight before we begin uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not into your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths the Lord is my light and my deliverance whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord, or excuse me, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All right, let's take just a few seconds, as I said, closing our eyes and bowing our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. generally father we're thankful for the Word of God we're thankful that it's through the Word of God that we know we uh, we are able to know you to know you more and also we're able to apply the wisdom that you provides for us through the Word of God and today uh, during times of uh, confusion and frustration. It is that wisdom that we truly need. We also need patience. We need to remember that um, what's happening in the world is in your hands, and we must trust you. That doesn't mean that we do nothing. It doesn't mean that we allowed evil, or wickedness to uh, change our lives. It means we apply the truth, the promises that you have given us. Therefore, Father, we ask for your blessing upon us this evening. We ask for your blessing upon uh, our nation. We pray, Father, for uh, those who are uh, leading us, that they would be... uh, courageous, that they would be strengthened, but all of this would come from you. Therefore, we ask for your blessing upon our our study this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin, as I said, with a few minutes regarding the National Day of Prayer. Uh We realize, I think most people realize, that we have a national day of prayer. But we probably know very little about the history. So, I'm going to read from, uh, Bill Bennett's American Patriot Almanac. And he says, the first, the first Thursday in May, is the National Day of Prayer. It's a day that encourages Americans to pray for the United States, to pray for the nation, for its people, and its leaders. The tradition of a National Day of Prayer dates to 1775. So the Day of Prayer um, begins prior to... The beginning of the nation, I think that's wonderful. Uh, we didn't have, we were not required to have uh, a nation. We were praying for the uh, the colonies, the people, and their uh, their plans. I guess we could say uh, before we actually established the nation. So the tradition of a national day of prayer dates to 1775 when the Second Continental Congress set aside a day for Americans to pray to be ever under the care and the protection of a kind providence. And that, of course, is the Almighty God. As they began the struggle for independence, they established this National Day of Prayer. In the following decades, Congress and the President set aside various days for prayer. In 1863, for example, Lincoln proclaimed a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer to help the country uh, pass through the awful calamity of the Civil War and for the restoration of our now our now, di- now divided and suffering country, uh, country to its formal, to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In 1952, Congress and the President of, and the President, and President Truman established a National Day of Prayer as a yearly event. So in 1952, the event was established so that we would have a national day of prayer every year. But there was not a specific day uh, required. Truman called for a day on which all of us in our churches, in our homes, and in our hearts may beseech God to grant us wisdom to know the course which we should follow and strengthen patience to pursue that course steadfastly. In 1988, President Reagan designated the first Thursday in May as the National Day of Prayer, urging Americans to ask God for his blessings, his peace, and the resting of his kind and holy hands on, our sa- on ourselves, our nation, our friends, our friends, in the defense of, na- of freedom and all mankind, now and always. Uh, and ever since 1988, uh, this, the first Thursday of May has been the National Day of Prayer. Now, in March of this year, March the 15th, uh, the, I believe it was March the 15th, I may even say here, uh, that uh, president Tru- troop uh, trump established uh, or pr- proclaimed the first day of of may be th- this year to be our national day of prayer now it was already established but he in march he proclaimed uh, uh, the day so that would be plenty of time for preparation so the prep the uh uh, uh, President Trump proclaimed on the National Day of Prayer for all Americans uh, affected by the, uh, coronav- uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic and for our national response efforts. And this is what he what was written and what he read. In our times of greatest need, Americans have always turned to prayer to help guide us through trials and periods, periods of uncertainty. As we continue to face the unique challenges posed by the COVID uh, pandemic, millions of Americans are unable to gather in their churches, temples, synagogues mosques and other houses of worship but in this time we must not cease uh, we must not not cease asking god for added wisdom comfort and strength and we must especially pray for those who have suffered harm or who have lost loved ones i ask you to join me in a day of prayer for all people who have affected who have been affected by the COVID uh, pandemic and to pray for God's healing hand to be placed on the people of our nation. As your president, I ask you to pray for the health and the well being of your fellow Americans, and to remember that no problem is too big for God to handle. We should all take to heart the words found in first Peter 5 7 cast casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you let us pray that all those affected by the virus will feel the presence of the Lord's protection and love during this time with God's help we will overcome this threat on Friday and this again was written in March. So he's referring to the Friday just prior to this proclamation. And this was on March the 15th. On Friday, I declared a national emergency and took other bold actions to help deploy the full power of the federal government to assist with efforts to combat the, con- the coronavirus uh, virus pandemic. I now encourage all Americans... To pray for those on the front lines of the, of the response, especially our nation's outstanding medical professionals, and public health officials, who are working tirelessly to protect all of us from the COVID, uh, COVID, and treat patients who are infected. All of our courageous first responders, National Guard, and dedicated individuals who are working to ensure the health and safety of our communities and our federal, state, and local leaders. We are confident that he, meaning God, will provide us with the wisdom they need to make difficult decisions and take uh, decisive actions to protect Americans all across the country. As we come to to our Father in prayer, we remember the words found in Psalm 91. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. As we, unite, as we unite in prayer, we are reminded that there is no burden too heavy for God to lift and for this country to bear with his help. Luke 1.37 promises that for with God Nothing shall be impossible. And these words are just as true today as they have ever been. As one nation nation under God, we are greater than the hardships we face. And through prayer and acts of compassion and love, we will rise to this challenge and emerge stronger and more united than ever before. May God bless each of you. And may God bless the United States of America. Now, therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, do hereby proclaim on March 15, 2020, as a national day of prayer for all Americans affected by the the COVID uh, pandemic and for our national response efforts. I urge Americans of all faith and religious traditions and backgrounds to offer prayer for all those affected, including people who have suffered harm or lost loved ones in witness thereof. I have here unto set my hand this 14th day of March in the year of our Lord 2020 and of the impen- and the independence of the United States of America, the 244th. Now, again, He made this proclamation on the 14th so that the 15th of March was uh, a day of prayer. But uh, it is also the proclamation that we have for tomorrow as well. Tomorrow being our national day of prayer. Now, um, we are going to... uh, continue our study of suffering but I don't want to fall behind as we study uh Job so we are in Job 20 and we're going to move hopefully uh rather well we're going to move through Job 20th uh 20 and when we finished we'll see another uh Several other uh, points on the doctrine of suffering. So, uh, let's. Here we are. Um, We're working on the second round of speeches. Uh, It's Job 15 through 21. Uh, Job 21 is the answer to uh, Zophar's uh, second. Round of speeches. So we are now, uh, let me, Zophar's second uh, speech, Job 20. Let me give you the outline of the chapter, Job 20, and our first point, there will be four of them, the anger of Zophar. We really have uh, sort of a a prologue or an intro to this uh, chapter. And that is uh, verses 1 and 3. Um, but we'll see that Zophar um, has, um, is expressing his anger. Secondly, the brief prosperity of the wicked. As a matter of fact, most of this chapter is going to be directed toward the wicked. And we'll see that at the beginning here in verses 4 through 11. And then we have the, impo- the impoverishment of the wicked. Uh, Zophar is going to give us the results of the life of the wicked, and that goes from verses 12 to 19. And then uh, D, the first, the fourth uh, point, is the anger of God against the wicked, verses 20 through 29. Uh, 20 through 29. Is Zophar's uh, description of how God uh, uh, approaches the uh, the wicked uh, and their life. So we'll see these four points: the anger of Zophar, the brief uh, prosperity of the wicked, uh, how it comes and goes, the impoverishment. "...of the wicked, and then the anger of God against the wicked." The sixth speech by Job's companions. So this is, they've had their first round, and now their second round. And he has three friends. So, each one of them, at the end of chapter 20, will have had three speeches. I guess we could say they took three shots. uh, Each took two shots. Uh, uh, at Job. So the sixth speech, this is Zophar's second, by Job's companions, is truly the most stinging of the the diatribes. Uh, They seem to be infuriated and insulted because Job will not accept their accusations. And here we're going to see Zophar will uh, attack Job, seeking to convince him that uh, his his wealth, his prosperity had vanished because that is what has happened to those who uh, Zophar is going to say. That is what happens when someone oppresses the poor and we'll see uh the reference to the poor in the uh throughout this chapter so far then spoke up for the second time seething uh seething with anger against job his second speech was another uh another attack against wicked people and of course the wicked people is an F, uh, he is inferring to be Job Uh, except this time Zophar he developed the thought that the wicked would lose their wealth and see their lives shortened as God judged them severely for stealing from and defrauding others Uh, and this defrauding was designed to enrich them that's what Zophar is going to say. He pictured the wealth of evil people as food that turns the stomach of the eater, making him sick enough to vomit, to get sick. Other than uh, taking a slightly different tack, Zophar's message came to the same conclusion as those of his first speech and speeches of Eliphaz and Bildad. And that conclusion is that God always rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. So as we proceed here, it's going to be obvious that Job's sudden loss of wealth made him the wicked person of Zophar's description. So Zophar, uh, first of all, Zophar's of uh, more or less his uh introduction. The anger of Zophar, chapter twenty, verse one through three. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Therefore, or I think we could say, because this is the beginning of the speech, therefore very often has the sense of a conclusion. But this is not a conclusion. This is the beginning of his second attack. Therefore, I'd rather use the translation. This is why instead of therefore, but therefore is what I think almost all of the English versions use. Uh, this is why my anxious or my troubled thoughts make me answer, make me respond because of the turmoil and the turmoil here could also be uh, translated or understood as agitation or his emotion, his feelings within me. I have heard the rebuke that reproaches, uh, that dishonors, that insults me. And the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer again. He's saying that... Uh, the uh, reproach, the insults that he has received, is what's causing him to uh, respond to Job. Uh, and a quick summary of the of this intro: like his two partners before him, Zophar could not remain silent. That that's what he says. I just can't remain quiet. And we'll see uh, that he'll uh, expound on that here in a moment. Um, He, Zophar, had uh, also had to speak a second time. He's troubled. He's disturbed at Job's rude words. Zophar felt he must respond. And then thirdly here, Job had had said, that the three had insulted him numerous times. And of course they are. They're attacking him, saying that uh, it's his sinful life that is causing the problems uh, for him, for Job. But now Zophar is responding with the notion that Job had insulted him. Uh, we would probably say that Job is simply defending himself, but of course, uh, he is troubled, he's disturbed, and so his defense is aggressive. Uh, it's, uh, I guess what we, we could say is that they are of no comfort. Uh, some comforters they turned out to be. Uh, Job had said, to, had said, God closed their minds to understanding. But Zophar is now going to say that his understanding forced him to re- to reply, meaning I understand what you're trying to say. He had to share his insights. Verse beginning in verse four uh, in our the the brief prosperity of the wicked uh, verses four through eleven. Verse four, do you not know this? Of the of old, since man was placed on earth, in other words, since creation of mankind, uh, in other words, Zophar is going to say, "This is uh, uh, is well known. It has been a principle since the beginning of time." Zophar starts his uh, soliloquy with a rhetorical remark that states. That what he's about to say is common knowledge, even uh, even well known. Um, it was known since the first couple were placed on the earth. In other words, Job should know what Zophar is about to say. Um, verse five: that the triumph uh, triumphing or uh, exalting, I think, is another word we could use here, of the wicked is short. It's brief. So, the wicked may exalt themselves, but it's only for a short time. And the joy, I think maybe a better word here, the, the uh, mirth, the mirth of the hypocrite, is but for a moment. It's short-lived. Now, as you look at these uh, parallel uh, lines we can see that the wicked is a li- is aligned with the hypocrite and we can see that uh, the exalting uh, triumphing is aligned with the Joe with joy uh, and there he's so he- the emphasis here is on the short-lived short-lived can be translated that way as well, uh, is is brief. Uh, so Job, uh, you had your brief time of prosperity, but because you're wicked, uh, it's been removed. So Zophar returns to the discussion, or we could say the description of the wicked, since all three friends believe that Job is in this situation because of his sinful life, the wicked here refer, uh, rever, refer, uh, ref, uh, refers to Job. Uh, Zophar says that the exalting of the wicked, meaning Job, is brief and his joy, his mirth is momentary. The hypocrite is the same as the wicked and they are, descri- they are descriptions of of who, Job. Um, now, uh, but in fact, Zophar uh, is is des- is describing or accusing Job of something that he really doesn't understand because he doesn't understand what God is doing in this situation. But Zophar sees. Uh, uh, Zophar sees uh, Job as the wicked. Uh, what other expl- explanation could there be? He says, verse six. And I'd like to start this verse with, even though, even though his haughtiness, his, the pronoun represents the wicked. And as we go through this chapter, as we did the other chapters we have to understand who these uh, pronouns rep- represent. And I'll try to uh, keep us online as we go. Even though his, the wicked, uh, his haughtiness, his arrogance, mounts up to, the, up to the heavens, and his head, and here uh, this is a figure of speech for his pride, reaches to the clouds. So the parallelism again here as we find very often in Hebrew poetry, brings human stature, his body, uh, into a figure of speech. His head, we could say, is in the clouds. Verse 7, Yet he, again, the wicked, will perish forever like his own refuge. Uh, Those who have seen him will say, Where is he? Now, Zophar is using very coarse language here to express the fact that Job will disappear like his own excrement. Uh, those who knew him uh, will look for him, but they will not be able to find him. In other words, he's saying that Job is not going to be exalted, but in fact, uh, he's going to be worse Than his own dung. uh, Something that decomposes. And is gone. Point eight. Or excuse me. Verse eight. Verse eight. He. Again. The wicked. Will fly away. Will disappear. Like a dream. And not be found. Yes. He will be chased away. Like a vision of the night. So. What. Uh, Zophar is saying is that the wicked will vanish, vanish as a dream fades and is not remembered. Uh, We probably all have said, I had a dream last night, but I simply can't remember it. And so this is a a quite common uh, understanding of a dream or description of a dream as a vision in the night is uncertain or unclear. Uh, in this case it is uh, maybe not uh uh it's uh indistinguishable. It's hard to uh understand what the vision is, and that's what this is. Uh, as a vision in the night is uncertain or unclear, that sight will vanish. Zophar says that the memory of Job, like the wicked, will fade. Verse 9. The eye that saw him will see him no more. Uh, the eye. The eye here is a figure of speech for the person. So a uh, the person that saw him, uh, people who had previously known him, visited him, knew him, uh, will see him no more. Because... He's going to disappear. Nor will his place, and I think a better translation for place here, although place is fine, uh, would be his position. His position, behold, see him no more. Uh, so his position is not going to be, a, he will not be there, so it will not be observed. That's what our word to behold means. So Zophar, continues with the theme that the wicked meaning Job will fade and no one will remember him point uh, verse 10 his children his meaning the wicked and of course as he uh, continues as zophar continues he's going to uh refer to uh, to Job and we will see some of these uh, similarities uh his the wicked and we could easily say Job uh, the wicked uh, his wick uh, his the wicked's children will seek the favor of the poor in other words the uh we'll see the impoverishment of the wicked, so much so that his children need to beg from the poor, and his uh, his childrens will restore his wealth. Um, we'll see how this is used. In other words, uh, his hands, meaning uh, the hands of the, the of the poor is going to restore the wealth. They have lost their wealth, and they are going to be providing them uh, uh, their needs. Verse 11, his bones, his body, is another way of describing this. Bones representing in poetry very often will be a description of the body. So his bones, or his body, are full of his youthful vigor. But it, the vigor, will lie down, will die with him in the dust. Our summary here of these verses. First of all, since Job claimed to know so much, which, by the way, was a false uh, accusation, uh, he should be aware what Zophar was about to say. Secondly, here Zophar argued that from the beginning of human history, any joy, any uh, uh, mirth experienced by a sinner is brief and only momentary. Thirdly, Job may be arrogant, Zophar arrogantly affirmed, but he will be brought low uh, and die. Though high as the heavens, he will in contrast be brought low to the ground like dung. Fourth, people will not know where he is. They'll look for him, but they know they won't know where he is. Why? Because he will vanish like a dream. Uh, five, he will be unseen. Uh, in other words, uh There was a time when Job was very visible. He was very well known. But there's going to come a time when he will be unseen. His children will need to pay his obligations. And they will not only need to pay those obligations, but they will need to receive uh, help from the poor. Uh, 6. Repeatedly in his oration, Zophar mentioned wealth and uh, the fact that it is transient. Uh, it's like a vapor. Uh, and uh, Zophar is going to continue to uh, accuse Job of having lost his wealth because of his sinfulness. All this suggested that Job acquired his, uh, his wealth dishonestly. And as we move forward, we'll see him accuse that, that he, uh, he accumulated his wealth, uh, by abusing the poor. Uh, and point seven here a wealthy man, if wicked, will find that his energy will be buried with him. So, Zophar here may have been responding to Job's mention of vigor um, in chapter 18 and also it will be mentioned again in chapter 21. All right, uh, the, impo- the impoverishment of the wicked, uh, verses 12 through 19. Uh, let's move through this uh, section rather quickly because what we're going to see is uh, Zophar continuing to describe the wicked. Verses 12 through 14 begin this. Verse 12, uh, though evil is sweet in his mouth, um, and again, his mouth is the wicked, and he hides or retains it under his lip, under his uh, tongue. And so he tries to lengthen, we could say, the sweetness of his wealth uh, verses 12 13 and um, uh verses 12 and 13 uh, present uh the wicked attempt uh and there uh, what they're attempting to do uh but in verse 14 the results of his actions are described so begin it, let me begin again verse 12 Uh, Though evil is sweet in the wicked's mouth and he hides or retains it under his tongue, though he, the wicked, spares or desires it and does not forsake it, doesn't let it go, but still keeps it in his mouth, verse 14, yet or then his, the wicked, uh, the food that he has uh, taken in his mouth uh, turns sour, in his stomach. It becomes cobra venom within him. Um, there's some question, and I don't know that we have a, uh, the best answer for what this uh, cobra venom means, but there was a sense that uh, uh, sourness uh, in, the sum, in the stomach was often described as... Uh, uh, cobra venom because there may have been uh, when uh, inflicted by cobra venom, there was a sickness uh, that would go along in the stomach. Verse 15, he, the uh, wicked, swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. And so Uh, Verse 15, the riches obtained by the the wicked seem to be satisfying, but instead it upsets and causes sickness. God does not allow the the wicked to enjoy, or we could say, savor his ill-gotten pleasures. Verse 16, he, the wicked, will suck the poison of cobras. Here we are again. Uh, something that is poisonous, something that would cause illness. The viper's tongue will slay him. Verse 17, he, the wicked, will not see or not observe, not another uh, word we could use here is experience. Uh, The wicked will not experience the streams. And then the rivers flowing with honey and cream Uh, So Zophar here says that the wicked will not observe, they will not notice, they will not enjoy the streams, the rivers of prosperity. Uh, Verse 18. Verse 18 says, he, again, we're running up against of these pronouns and we need to understand them. He, the wicked, will restore, will return for uh, will return that for which he has labored. In other words, uh, as the wicked is, uh, failing or being punished, he will, uh, return his ill-gotten, uh, prosperity and will not shall, uh, will not swallow it, will not enjoy it. From the proceeds of his, uh, businesses, uh, his prosperity, he will get no enjoyment, and so uh, Zophar here is saying is saying that uh, the uh, the wicked uh, are not going to uh, in, enjoy uh, or uh, will not only not only not enjoy their prosperity, but as they as they come to the end of their life they will end up returning it. Now how does that happen? Let's see how this works. Verse 19. For he the wicked has oppressed and forsaken the poor. Another way of, of reading that, for he the wicked has oppressed the poor and forsaken them. In other words, he took from them and did not assist them in their poverty. He has violently seized a house which he did not build. So Zophar says that the wicked has oppressed those who cannot oppose him. Taking their assets and then possessing what does not belong to him. Zophar is going far afield. Uh, He's implying that that Job has built his success by oppressing the poor, and nothing could be further than the, from the truth. This is an extraordinary uh, accusation, because Zophar knew Job. Uh, he had uh, he could be called his friend, and as his friend, he knew that he didn't oppress the poor. But uh, this is the uh, position that Zophar and his two friends have taken—that only the wicked could suffer uh, in this way. So that Job must have oppressed the poor. Uh, now the last section here: the anger of God against the wicked, verses 20 through 29. Verse 20: 20, Because he, the wicked knows no quietness, no uh, we could say no satisfaction in his heart is how it's translated in most versions. But the inner organs is often um, represented by the belly, and they're going to say heart here. Um, so I think what we're going to be able to say here is the word for, for belly here is more his appetite. Uh, it's a figure of speech. So because he, the wicked, knows no satisfaction in his appetite, he will not allow to escape anything that he desires or he uh, craves. And I've made that a little bit of an adjustment. The word saved uh, is, is really not there. It means to allow to escape. And so uh, the wicked uh possesses, uh, grabs these uh, possessions. Verse 21, nothing is left for him, the wicked, to eat or to devour. It's gone. Therefore, his well-being, his prosperity, will not last. Verse 22, in his, the wicked's, self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. In other words, uh, up to this point has been uh self sufficient but suddenly he's being punished uh being punished by God because of his wickedness there uh will be in distress every hand uh the full force we might say the full force of misery will come against him uh the use of the word uh hand here literally every hand of trouble comes to him, means those who bring uh, bring trouble. Verse 23, When he, the wicked, is about to fill his stomach, God will cast on him the fury of his wrath and will rain on him while he is eating. Uh, maybe a little bit clearer translation would be while he is filling his belly, why he is consuming while he's pursuing his appetite. God sends his burning anger against him and rains down his blows upon him. All right, let's... Uh, verse 24. And I think we start with if here. If he, the wicked, will flee from the iron weapon... And the iron weapon here is the punishment of God. Uh, we're probably not speaking specifically of a weapon, but uh, the uh, exercise of God's wrath. If he, the wicked, will flee from the iron weapon, a bronze bow will pierce him through. So Zophar here says that the wrath of God would be like being struck by an iron-tipped arrow. And we'll see this continued in verse 25. This would be very painful, possibly implying pain similar to Job's. Again, as found in poetry, this uh, these lines uh, align up very well, uh, and they're filled with figures of speech. Uh, While an arrow would strike the wicked, this is only really a figure of disaster. Verse 25, it is drawn, it is withdrawn uh, and comes out of the body. Yes, the glittering point comes out of his gall. And the gall here is a representation of his liver or of his stomach, an interior organ. Terror comes upon him. Verse 26, total darkness is reserved for his, the wicked's treasures. An unfanned fire will consume him. Uh, it shall go ill with him who is left in his tent. Uh, the darkness here, uh, the total darkness, um, it refers to the misfortunes and the afflictions that await the uh, the wicked uh, an unflamed fire will consume him. Uh, I think that description of the unflam, uh, unfanned fire there is a fire that is already uh uh burn him burning him, consume him uh it shall go ill with him who is left in his tent those who uh, are still part of his family uh those part of his. Uh, uh, servants those who serve him verse 27 the heavens will reveal his the iniquities the wicked's iniquity and the earth will rise up against him uh, this is a description of uh, everyone's uh, and everything's hand being against the wicked verse 28 the increase of his the wicked's house will depart and his goods will flow away in the day of his wrath. Many believe uh, would interpret this to be a flood that's uh, washing away uh, his house, his possessions. But again, I think this is a figure of speech. The possession of his house will depart, will be taken, uh, and I think it could be easily referred to as thieves that ravage his prosperity. Uh, or his property. Zophar says that the property of the wicked will be removed by the wrath of God, which, he says, happened to Job. And then verse 29, this is the portion, the allotment from God for a wicked man, the heritage appointed to him. What is Zophar saying? He's saying that his description of the wicked is the uh allotment from God. It's coming to him from God. And it is the heritage that uh is brought to him by God. It's uh what he will inherit. Now uh there's I think more that could be said here. Um Zoph- uh, Zophar uh in his philosophical short sightedness made no allowance for a person being afflicted for any reason other than the retribution of sin. Uh, in his stubborn uh, attack, he uh, abuses Job with venomous words like the poisonous snake that he describes. So this is uh, Job's friend, and his remarks. Now, I said I wanted to take some time uh, talking about the doctrine of suffering. So, let me move us to the first point we made last week was suffering is a gift from God. And we saw Philippians one twenty nine, 1, James 1, 2 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 17. We also saw... We also studied, in the midst of suffering, God comforts us, and we saw that in second corinthians one five Our last point was God enables us God enables us to rejoice in suffering and we saw we read this in first uh, peter four twelve thirteen. This is where we were last week suffering is a blessing because it brings eternal reward now one of the things we have to understand is that suffering uh, is a blessing when we have uh, applied the uh, uh, the promises and the uh, the guidance, the instructions that we have from God. We'll see later on in several of our points that uh, uh, suffering can be for blessing. Uh, It certainly is for instruction as well. But here, ultimately, for the believer who is in fellowship, who is applying the word of God, it's a blessing and it brings eternal wards. Let's turn to Matthew 5, and we could read 1 through 12, but we don't need to. We're only going to read the last few verses. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 11. Uh, If we started in verse 1, we'd see the Lord is going to uh, teach about blessings. Uh, about happiness. And when he arrives in verse 11 of Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Um, And the reason that I wanted to use this verse is because this is precisely what is happening in the book of Job. Uh, Job is being reviled. He's being accused. Um, And in fact, Job had been what uh, God had called a model saint or believer, follower of of God. And so here we have this verse that fits our context perfectly. Uh, Verse 11, blessed are you. When they, and in this, in the context, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. But in Job, of course, it's his friends. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward. In heaven, and so there's for those who are persecuted there, and who stand fast in their faith. Uh, great is your reward, your payment in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, let's look at Second Corinthians four. 2 Corinthians four seventeen. This is the passage that uh, in the past I've quoted. We'll begin in verse seventeen, Second Corinthians four, sixteen. Therefore we do not lose heart. Um, we must continue to have faith in the promises of God and what He's done for us. Uh, Therefore do not lose heart. Do not lose our motivation. Don't lose our courage. Even though our outward man, our physical body, is perishing, is uh, passing away, is, is uh, wearing away, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, our soul, our spiritual life, our growth. Verse 17, for our light affliction, uh, Paul is saying that what we're experiencing is really insignificant, he's saying. So we could say that for our light affliction, our insignificant adversity, which is but for a moment, uh, it's only uh, for a short time that we are here on earth. Um, We would say that this is Uh, our experiential sanctification, it's phase two in time, is working, is producing for us far more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. Those are the rewards. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, in other words, the afflictions, we're looking at the lord we're looking at what the future holds for us because we're in union with christ for the things which are seen are temporary but the things which are not seen are eternal second timothy 2:12 we've been over this passage i think many times but beginning in verse 12 and verse 11 this is a saving uh, a faithful saying this is the Apostle Paul, writing to uh, Timothy. We believe this is the last epistle, the last letter that uh, Paul wrote. This is just prior to his death. This is a fa- faithful saying. If we die with him, if we died with him, well, have we died with him yet? No. This is... Uh, what we call uh, positional sanctification. Uh, it's also known as retroaction, retroactive, because the Lord is the one who has died and we die with him. We will also uh, live with him and living with him, meaning that we're no longer uh, slaves to sin. Instead, we have the opportunity to live the same spiritual life that the Lord does. Although we still have a sin nature that really prevents us, that opposes us, but we still have that that opportunity. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Verse 12 if we endure if we endure the hardships the adversities we shall also reign with him this is the uh the rewards that we receive in heaven we will be uh rewarded uh will reign with him uh, we will be given positions of rulership uh revelation 22:12 doesn't talk about uh the adversity, but it talks about the rewards revelation twenty two twelve revelation twenty two twelve says and behold, I am coming quickly this is the rapture he's coming uh, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work, according to his deeds, and according to his activities, according to his spiritual life, what he's accomplished. All right, uh, I I knew that we would not be able to come uh, cover uh, point four last week uh, because I wanted to go to these passages. Uh, next week we'll get to five, uh, possibly a few others. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Dearly Father, we are thankful that we have um, the word of God uh that we may study, that we may learn the instructions that you have for us. And we're certainly thankful for God the Holy Spirit that guides us uh through the text. And some of these are more difficult for us. Uh in some cases, it's because of the historical context that is a bit difficult to understand. Uh, But, Father, we know that uh, the truth, uh, we can ascertain the truth uh, as God the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And we pray that we will be able to apply it. And the application here, Father, is first of all, we are to be comforters to those who are going through difficult times. We don't judge them, We don't assume that they have failed in their spiritual lives and therefore you, Father, have judged them and are now punishing them because we don't know uh, the facts. We don't have the facts. But instead we are to comfort them and to encourage them. Father, we're thankful for uh, tomorrow, a national day of prayer. Uh, We must remember that Tomorrow is a day of prayer for our nation, uh, for our leaders, for uh, the people here uh, in America, and also, Father, for uh, uh, friends, uh, members of our church and family that uh, very well may be going through some very difficult times. I'd like to spef- specifically pray for Tim and Kay uh some of you uh, don't know Tim and Kay Conway but uh the lord is very close to taking tim uh to heaven with him and we pray father for uh the tranquility of kay as she continues to care for tim and we pray for tim's uh uh ability to still communicate with his family his his wife his two sons we pray father that they will be wonderful uh, uh he will be a wonderful testimony in kay as well uh as they deal with this uh uh this difficulty but we know father that there's great blessing in this as tim will pass from time to eternity we also father pray for our nation we pray that <clears throat> we will be able to uh be restored to the prosperity that you have given us in these past three years. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, we will have <clears throat> wisdom uh, amongst our leaders, and we also pray, Father, uh, for the health and, and the health of our president um, and those who serve him. We pray, Father, <clears throat> that um, this virus will be able to be uh, uh, contained or those who receive it. Uh, that their immune system will be able to effectively battle it help us now father not to be uh, overly uh, self help us not to be self absorbed overly focused on ourselves but truly to intercede for others and for our nation and we ask these things in Jesus name amen